Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out community and join a movement group. Maybe it means supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. Well, good morning. Like Mark said, my name is Sarah. I'm part of the teaching team here at Movement. And um, when we started talking about this series a few months ago, I said, I'm really excited about this series. And also I might cry all the way through every single week. So um, if that's how you felt last week, you're not laughing because you're thinking, is she actually going to cry the whole time she's on the stage? And I will tell you that I didn't cry first service, but that I think just means that the tears are really, they're ready. Okay, so if I cry through this service and you're an empathetic crier, you might be crying with me, so I hope that you brought some tissues. Um, but I really, do, I really do believe in what we're talking about during this month. Um, and I think, I don't know what your experience with churches or with Christians in general has been. Um, I think that uh, in our culture, particularly our Christian culture, mental health is something that we feel nervous about, um, and we're not quite sure what to say about it, particularly from a spiritual perspective. Um, So let me just reiterate um, what we kind of mentioned last week. Um, We believe that as people, we're holistic people, um, that we were created with all of these different pieces of us and that they are intended to fit together. So your mental health is connected to your physical health, which is connected to your spiritual health, which is connected to your emotional health and your social health and fill in the blanks with whatever other healths you can think of. All these pieces fit together. And so that's not to say like if mental health is something that you think like, this is something that's very real for me. What we're saying to you today is not like, if you just prayed a little bit more, everything would be better. Um, We recognize that there's a lot of pieces that play into this. Uh, But one thing that we want to be really honest about is your spiritual health is connected to your mental health. It absolutely is. And um, we want to examine how those pieces fit together. So last week, Mark started us uh, by looking at the story of Hagar, um, which was a story that I would say until just a few months ago was like a blip on the radar screen for me. I knew the story, um, but it was one that it's a weird story and makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, like a servant has to sleep with her master and then she gets pregnant and then she gets thrown out into the desert. Like I feel weird about the whole thing and it doesn't really have any specific application to my life. None of that has ever happened to me. Um, So I've just kind of breezed on past it. And in the last few months, that story has really, it has become so powerful. And if you weren't here last week, then let me just really briefly say that even though this woman has experienced abuse. I mean, we're not over-exaggerating when we say that that's what it was. She was experiencing abuse at the hands of other people, people who should have been taking care of her. She experienced abuse at their hands, and yet in the midst of that situation, she encounters God literally in the desert. And when she sees God, she says to him, he says all of these things about how he's going to take care of her. And she says, you are Elroy, the God who sees me. 
Like in the midst of this abuse and in the midst of this pain, she encounters God and she becomes acutely aware that her God sees her. This story is so beautiful and so powerful. And so today we're going to transition into another story that also comes from the Old Testament. And this is not a story about um, abuse that happens, okay? Some of you can relate to the story that we talked about last week. You have experienced abuse or mistreatment in some way, shape, or form. Statistics would say that 30% of the women sitting in this room have experienced some sort of sexual abuse. Physical abuse, verbal abuse has happened. There are those of us in this room who can relate to the story from last week, but there are some of us in this room who say, that story, sure, okay, it was good, but I I don't experience trauma in my life that way. This week, we're going to look at a story that's found in the book of Ruth, and this story is not about abuse. This story is about living in a world where really bad things happen, and bad things happen that we didn't ask for. We're going to read portions of Ruth today. If you want to follow along, we're going to start in Ruth chapter one. If you're using one of the Bibles around you, it's page 208, 209. As you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background about the book of Ruth. Ruth is a short book. It's only four chapters long, and it tells us specifically the story of one family that lives in the nation of Israel. Now, if your Old Testament knowledge is rusty, I'm going to give you a really high-level kind of overview. Israel were um, the people that God had chosen to show his character to the world, and he had, um, he had selected them starting with Abraham, um, which we talked about Abraham last week. Abraham's family begins to multiply, begins to multiply. Eventually, his family ends up in Egypt and they live enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Eventually, God sends Moses along. Maybe you've seen the Ten Commandments with Yul Brenner. Nope, you guys are way too young. Okay, so there's this movie called The Ten Commandments, okay? And you should look it up. I'm not sure where because it's probably too old for Netflix. So just, okay, take my word for it. There's this movie um, about the Ten Commandments and Moses goes and he sets Israel free through the power of God, takes them out of Egypt. They wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. Eventually, they end up in the promised land. And they live a period of their time in the promised land without a king. God's design for the nation of Israel was that he would be their king. And so it's during this time period that we find this story of Ruth's family. Now, they're living during what we're going to see right here at the beginning of the book is called the Time of the Judges. So if you're interested in learning more about that, there's another book which comes right before the book of Ruth, called Judges. And it's the story of how the people of Israel, they keep forgetting who God is and what God has done in their lives. And they keep wandering away and God keeps sending judges to remind them of his character and to bring them back. And it's during this time that we meet Ruth's family. We're gonna read chapter one together. 
I'm going to read it to you. We're going to go all the way through it, and then we're going to back up, and we're going to examine what is happening in this story. So starting right at the top of Ruth chapter 1, again, it's page 208, if you're using one of these Bibles. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other married a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if, I were, and even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara. For the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. We're going to take time this morning to examine both of these women. We're going to start with Naomi. The story begins with Naomi and her husband and their two sons. And they leave the land of Israel and they go to Moab. Now, Moab is a land that is outside of the land that God had given his people. It's off to the east and a little bit south. 
And the reason that they go there is because there's a famine that's happening in Israel. Now, when I first read this passage, I thought like, see, now they invited tragedy upon themselves because they're leaving the land that God had given them. They're trying to run away from difficulty. We shouldn't do that. But as I studied this passage and as I read what these different biblical scholars had to say about it, men and women who are way smarter and know much more than I do, what I found is that many of these people said, it wasn't actually wrong for Naomi and her family to leave because of the famine. The reason we would say that is there are actually times throughout scripture that we see that God says to people, look, there's gonna be famine in the land. I want you to escape and find some relief and then I'll tell you when it's time to come back. So the fact that they leave is not necessarily wrong. Naomi and Elimelech, they're trying to take care of their sons. They're trying to provide a life where they can continue to live. We don't know how bad the famine is going to get. They could potentially all die. And so they leave with the intention of finding relief. And yet when they get to Moab, Elimelech dies. And so right from the beginning, we begin to see this theme that is going to be woven through Naomi's life. That disappointment and tragedy and loss follows her. That she thinks that she's getting away from the tragedy. And instead, she gets to this place where there is no famine, where there is plenty of food, and her husband dies. And then... This next part of the story is told just like in one verse, we fast forward 10 years, both of her boys get married and then both of her sons die. And so Naomi is described at the beginning of Ruth chapter one as being left all alone. She has gone to this place to find relief for her family and instead disappointment and tragedy and pain follow her. And I think it's interesting that the writer of Ruth says she is left all alone because at this point in the story, she's not actually alone. She still has Ruth and Orpah next to her. And yet, Ruth feels completely, Naomi feels completely alone. She's lost her husband. She's lost her boys. Some of you can maybe relate to Naomi. You have tried to make the decisions for yourself and for your family that seem like they're the right decisions. Naomi and Elimelech, they leave Israel to go to Moab because there's tragedy in Israel and they want to provide for their family. And when they get to this place where things are supposed to be good, tragedy follows. They didn't ask for that. Naomi experiences the death of her husband and then the death of her sons. And so she says, there's nothing left for me here. I'm going home. And so she turns to return to Bethlehem, where she's from. And at first, her two daughters-in-law are going with her, Orpah and Ruth. It's not Oprah, it's Orpah, okay? Although I did hear Oprah say one time that her name was supposed to be Orpah and her mom miss spelled it. So I don't, maybe that's true. I don't know. Um, So Orpah and Ruth are going with Naomi to return back to Bethlehem. 
And then Naomi turns to them and she says something that is really interesting. I'm going to read it to you again so that you can actually hear her words. In verse 8, she says, Go back to your mother's homes. May the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And then they say, no, 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 no. Naomi, we're coming with you. Remember, Ruth and Orpah have not escaped tragedy. We don't know how young they are, but they're young women and they've experienced the death of their husbands. Their life is not ponies and rainbows. They have experienced hard things. And they're saying to Naomi, no, no, we're in this together. Naomi's response, in, down in verse 13, things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself raised his fist against me. Naomi feels her pain deep. And her first reaction is to turn and say, you did this to me. I didn't ask for this. I did not ask for this. And so her reaction then to her grief, which is real, and look, hear me clearly, her grief is not a sin. Some of you have experienced real loss and real trauma, and the feelings that you feel, they're not sin. Shame on us Christians who have tried to say to people in pain, hey, you've got the joy of the Lord. Shouldn't you be smiling? Shame on us. I am sorry on behalf of Christians. I'm sorry if people have said that to you. Because if you have experienced grief and trauma, the pain that you feel is real. And In one sense, I think we have to give Naomi a little bit of credit here because she understands that her God, her Yahweh, has power. She understands that he is big, that he was powerful enough that he could have done something to intervene. And yet her reaction is to say, this is all your fault. And then she turns to these two young women who are trying to cling to her, who are trying to say, Naomi, we are in this with you. And she says, no, you stay away. You go back to where you came from because I am hurt. And I'm alone in my pain. If you have ever experienced loss, you know what it is to feel that kind of alone to be in a room with 10, 20, 100 other people and to feel like you are the only person in the room because no one knows what it feels like to feel the kind of alone that you feel. This is Naomi. And so she's trying to create this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. She feels alone and so she wants to create a life where she is alone. She is driving away the only two people that she has left so that she has even more right than to say to Yahweh, look at what you've done to me. 
You took my husband, you took my sons, and now you've taken these two women. She's angry. And she is trying to push everyone else away from her. Now, listen, we're going to talk more about this as the morning unfolds. But here's what we're beginning to see about Naomi. Naomi believes that her feelings are facts. Naomi believes that what she feels is the reality of the life that she is living. But what we have to acknowledge, men and women, followers of Jesus, is that your feelings are not facts. Your feelings are not facts. I don't, again, I don't mean to say to you that your feelings are sin, but your feelings don't always tell you the truth. Those of you who have small children, you know that this is true about them. They feel things and you look at them and go like, what? There is no reason for you to be feeling what you are feeling. I was at a basketball game with some friends of mine yesterday and my friend's daughter, who is four, is having a full-blown meltdown, screaming, weeping, kicking everything because she didn't have a lollipop. And it was like the world was ending. Her feelings were that her life was terrible because this lollipop has been denied from her, right? And my friend is just like, you need to stop it. Like, this is... If you don't stop crying right now, we're leaving, right? Because her feelings are not facts. Her feelings aren't telling her the truth. We can identify it in children, but somehow when it's happening to us, we don't see it. When it's happening to me, I don't see it. For the last two years, um, I have lived in what I would, can only describe to you as a, a deep depression. And I could only see it because one of my friends finally looked at me in the eye and said, what you are feeling is depression and it is time that we help you get help. And I'm like weeping at my desk in the middle of my workday saying, I'm fine. Clearly, I'm not fine. And in the midst of all of that, I had these days where I could just like sit in my bed for like 20 hours out of the day and think, no one feels as alone as I feel. No one feels as alone as I feel. Now, look, men and women, like I live alone, but I'm not alone. I'm not. Like there are people sitting in this room right now who love me like I'm part of their family, who were like frantically calling and texting me in the midst of all of that. But I chose to believe what my feelings were telling me. My feelings, they were my facts. I feel alone, so I am. This is where Naomi is. She feels grief. She feels 
pain. And so she then allows that to tell her something about God. God has raised his fist against me. And yet in this story, Ruth refuses to walk away. Now we're going to get back to her in a minute, but Ruth looks at her and Ruth says, Naomi, where am I going to go? I'm with you. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. And so finally Naomi goes, fine, just come. But then she gets home and she sees her old friends and they go, is that Naomi? And Naomi says, don't call me that. In Hebrew, Naomi means pleasant one. She says, don't call me the pleasant one. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Don't call me the pleasant one. Call me bitter. Because I left this place full and God brought me back empty. I left this place with a family and God brought me back alone. Now, as she's saying that, Undoubtedly, Ruth is standing right next to her. Naomi has just said, my life is empty and I am alone. And Ruth's like, I'm so glad I came. (laughs) This is really great. Naomi has allowed herself to believe that her feelings are telling her the truth. And yet, as the story continues to unfold... And and we get a hint of it right at the end of Ruth chapter one. We can see that the storyteller here wants us to see that even though this is what Naomi is telling herself, it is not the reality of the situation. Because at the very end of Ruth chapter one, the author tells us that they returned to Bethlehem. Now, Old Testament story writers don't write this way. They focus on the head of the family. So for example, when the story is written about Abraham leaving his, fam- leaving his homeland and going to a new land that God was taking him to, it doesn't say they left, even though Abraham had a wife. It simply says he left and went to the place that God was taking him. It's the way that stories were written. It followed the head of the family, but not in this story. In this story, the author is intentional to say not just that Naomi returned, but that they, Naomi and Ruth, together return to Bethlehem. The story writer wants us to see that even though this is what Naomi feels is true, she feels alone, she feels abandoned, that it is not the truth of the situation. And so now let's talk briefly about Ruth. Ruth is from Moab. She didn't grow up knowing about God. They had their own gods. And yet she meets this man and she becomes part of this family and she begins to learn about Yahweh and she says, that God, that God is the real deal. And so even when she loses her husband and her brother-in-law and her father-in-law and her mother-in-law turns into this shriveled husk of a woman, Ruth says, I'm not walking away from this. I'm in it. Now remember, Ruth has experienced the same trauma as Naomi. 
But Ruth's reaction to her grief is different. Now, again, do not misunderstand me. I don't think that Ruth is skipping down the road singing songs. I think Ruth feels it. But Ruth also understands that there's something about this Yahweh, even though we can't see it right now, that maybe he's worth trusting. And so she follows Naomi home. And she begins to step into these spaces that are available to her. So in chapter two, what we find is that Ruth goes out and she begins to glean from the corners of this field. It was um, an opportunity that God had established through his law to his people. He said, when you harvest the fields, I want you to leave the corners ungathered. I don't want you to bring those, that, those pieces of grain into the sheaves. I want you to leave them there so that the poor people who live among you can go out and gather the grain so that they have a way to provide for themselves. And so Ruth begins to do this and she meets this man who owns this field named Boaz. And wouldn't you know it, Boaz is an extended relative of the family. And another part of God's law said that it was his role to marry one of these women, to bring them into his household so that he could provide for them Look, God has always cared about women. It's another message for another Sunday. But from the very beginning, God set up his law so that women wouldn't be abandoned. Even in this culture where women couldn't own land and couldn't receive inheritance and very few of them had jobs, God establishes in his law a way to provide for the widows so that they don't become destitute, so that they don't become homeless, so that they don't become beggars and prostitutes. Boaz is the man who has the right to marry Ruth. And so he does, and he brings her into his home, and Naomi comes along. And Naomi makes this statement at the end of the book. She says, God has taken away my bitterness. He has given me pleasantness again. Ruth and Boaz have a son. His name is Obed. If you have a son, please do not name him Obed. Obed then has a son named Jesse. Jesse has a son named David, who becomes the greatest king in all of Israel's history. And eventually, from David's family, a baby is born named Jesus, who provides a way for us to be in relationship with God again. Now, I want you to imagine what would have happened in this story if when Naomi said to Ruth, you leave me alone, if Ruth would have just turned and walked away, or if Ruth, in her grief, would have also allowed her feelings to become facts, if she also would have shaken her fist at the sky, believed things about Yahweh that were not true, What would have happened in the story? Would there ever have been a wedding with Boaz? Would there ever have been a baby named Obed, a grandson named Jesse, and a great-grandbaby who becomes a great king named David? Naomi couldn't see it, but God was far from done with her. But she's so lost in her grief. 
She's so determined to be isolated and alone. She doesn't want to believe the truth. She wants to believe that God is as bad as he feels. And yet Ruth, Ruth just keeps walking next to her. If you read the whole book, Ruth never says anything profound. Like when when Naomi says, like, God has turned his fist against me, Ruth doesn't say, actually, like, do you want to do a little Bible study with me? Because I don't think that that's really what God does. Here, look at all these characteristics that I found of him. Ruth doesn't do that. We don't see that Ruth responds at all. She just says, like, I'm still going to come. She's in the mess with her. So here's what I want us to consider this morning. I think that we are probably all, or will be (laughs) at some point, Naomi or Ruth. If we're being real, you'll probably have the chance to be both of them at some point. Some of you right now feel like Naomi. You have experienced real trauma and grief. Maybe it's the death of someone that you have loved. Maybe it's the death of a dream. I don't know what it is. But you feel real loss and pain. And you have allowed that loss to communicate lies to you about who your God is. Now, again, your feelings aren't wrong, but possibly your feelings are telling you things that are lies, that your God doesn't love you, that your God never loved you, that your God wants to be good to other people, but he doesn't care about being good to you. And that as you stand in that loss, you find more and more and more reasons to believe that your God is as bad as he feels. Men and women, my job this morning is to remind you of the truth. That you do not serve a bad God, no matter what you feel right now. Your feelings are not facts. And so this morning, we have to replace the lies with truth. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know who your God is, you simply have to look at him. Jesus Christ is a provider. He provides for the people who come to him. Jesus Christ is gentle. Oh, he's so gentle. Children wanted to be around him. He didn't turn away people who were broken and who were hurting. Jesus Christ is full of grace. He's full of grace even for those who doubt. It's what Trig is going to talk about next week. That every time someone comes to Jesus in doubt, he does not criticize, he does not condemn. He gives them what they need to believe because our God is full of grace. Our God is a healer. Our God is patient. Our God, Jesus Christ, is kind. And our God is good. He's not just good in theory. He's good to you. 
even though you can't see it. Your story's not done. And even though Naomi got to see that Ruth married Boaz and there's this sweet baby Obed, she has no idea that her great, 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 fill in the blank, great grandson will be Jesus Christ who saves the world. She doesn't know. But she is part of the story. God's not just good in theory. He's good to you and your God loves you. Oh, he loves you. He loves you so much. He made a way for you to know him. If you are Naomi, what are the feelings that you have allowed yourself to tell you lies? What are those lies that you are believing? And what truth do you need to believe instead? Now, some of you are Ruth. Some of you... Maybe you haven't even necessarily experienced the trauma, but some of you are standing right next to somebody who is lost in their grief. They are lost in trauma. They are doing everything that they can to push people away because they want to believe that God is as bad as he feels. And if you are Ruth, listen to me, men and women, don't leave those people behind. They need you. God has given me so many Ruths over these last few months. And I'm standing here today believing the hope of the gospel in a way that I haven't in years because these Ruths didn't walk away from me even when I was a jerk to them. Even when I ignored their text messages for days on end, they didn't walk away. If you are Ruth, who is it that needs you? You don't have to have some sort of grand theological statement to give them. Just be in it with them. There's a story in the book of Mark that I know I've talked to you about before. This man is paralyzed and he can't get to Jesus. And his four friends put him on a stretcher, bring him to Jesus. Jesus is in such a big crowd inside of a house that they take the roof off awesome, and lower him down to Jesus. Because when that guy couldn't get to Jesus on his own, his friends took him there. If you are Ruth, you may need to take your friend to Jesus because he or she can't get there on their own right now. Your role is so important. So as we close, I just want you to close your eyes, bow your heads. And I want to give you a moment before we move on to reflect Are you Naomi today or are you Ruth? If you're Naomi, what truth, what truth do you need to believe in place of the lies? What do you need to let go of today? Again, hear me clearly. Your feelings are not sin but your feelings may be trying to lead you to lies. What lies do you need to let go of? Even if they don't feel it. Even if the truth feels so distant. Even if it feels like the truth is true for somebody else, but it's not true for you. Will you be brave enough today to say, my feelings aren't facts. 
Jesus, help me to trust you. And if you're Ruth, who's the Naomi in your life? Some of you maybe have a few Naomi's and it feels overwhelming. It feels thankless. It feels hopeless. I can't help these people. But as someone who has been in Naomi for a long time, can I encourage you to not give up? Don't give up on the Naomi's that God has placed in your life because they need you. Jesus, I'm so thankful to be part of a family, to be part of your family. I'm thankful for this story of Ruth and Naomi and I thank you that you don't sugarcoat things for us. I thank you that you let us see Naomi in like the rawness and the realness of her pain. Jesus, I pray for the Naomi's in this room. Will you help us to believe the truth? And Jesus, for the Ruth's, We can't be Ruth on our own. We're not strong enough. Will you give us your grace? Will you give us your power? Will you give us your patience with the Naomi's in our lives? Jesus, will you help us to love those people who are just so hurting? Jesus, will you make the Ruth's in this room people who carry their friends to Jesus because right now they can't get there on their own? I ask that you would heal us today. I ask that you would heal us of the pain. But more than anything, I ask that you would help us to be people who believe the truth, regardless of circumstances. Make us people who believe the truth about who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encouraged you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.